Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 595 of the Juicebox Podcast. The title of this one came down to the wire. I was between plain to main and give a hoot. I honestly don't even know what I'm going to do when I'm done with this. When I go out and actually type the words into... Well, it's a lot of technical stuff that you don't care about, but where you see the title of the episode, I'm still not sure what I'm going to do. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Barb. She's the mom of a child with type 1 diabetes. She's got an interesting story about how her child was diagnosed and a ton more. You're just going to listen. I I can't. You know what I'm saying here, right? Like, I can't explain the whole podcast to you in 30 seconds. It's It was a long and winding road. I don't know what we talked about anymore. I just remember having fun and thinking, yeah, Barb was good. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Don't forget, in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com, there are links to all of the sponsors. Support the sponsors. Support the show. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. They're absolutely my favorite type 1 diabetes organization, and I would like very much for you to check them out at touchedbytype1.org. They're also on Facebook and Instagram. I also want to thank the over 300 supporters at buymeacoffee.com forward slash juicebox podcast. Just nice people who get motivated once in a while to buy me a coffee. It's a really kind thing that you do. There's like 35 members and over 300 people who have done it at least once. And I would love to thank each one of you in person. But since I can't, I'm just going to say it here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is very kind. Your messages are extraordinary, the ones that you leave there at Buy Me A Coffee. Oh, now I said the thing and you're going to, it's buymeacoffee.com forward slash juicebox. The messages that you leave there are just stunning and touching and I I very much appreciate them. I'm Barbara. I'm the mom of a daughter that has type one and she was diagnosed last year. I'm also a registered dietitian and um, we live in suburban Chicago. Nice. Okay, so last year, 2020? Yes, right. uh, About six months into the pandemic. Oh, how old was was she then? So, yeah, so she was 10. 10. Got it. I'm now making notes. My wife brought me this really cool little whiteboard. I've heard about this. I'm trying to get one for my husband. He's a lawyer, but he likes old school legal pads. So it's going to be a big switch in our household. I've just, uh, it's like, so it kind of sits in front of me while I'm doing this and I can like, so it doesn't make noise. Like when I, sometimes I was like, I'd write stuff down on paper and it would be loud. Um, so I can kind of make notes while I'm going in case there's something I want to, um, remember to say, which that's where it's become very helpful because I'll think of a question and if I can't, if I can't keep it in my head, then I lose it. So now I'm just sort of like one wording, like jotting a word down and then coming back to it. It triggers it. Yeah, That's so smart. No one tell my wife what a good gift this was. So <laughs> I don't want her to. I, I might buy one for my husband. <laughs> I don't want her holding this over my head, which she will. Um, any autoimmune stuff in your family? None. Um, it actually, you know, and I mentioned earlier that I'm a registered dietitian. And honestly, even when I was in school, I didn't really learn about type one. So, I mean, they, they, you know, it was a section that we learned about in school, but we never really went into depth because we didn't see a lot of patients with type one. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of so far off my radar. How long ago was school? Um, so I've been a registered dietitian now for 12 years. Do you have um, I was I asked because I'm wondering if you remember what they said about diabetes while you were in I rem- you know it's so interesting because I have a visual in my head of you know like one of those choking posters where um you 
know, like the I know what you're talking symptoms, about. like excessive thirst. Yep. I know what you're talking about. Um, my daughter's had, there was one hanging in my daughter's school that was about signs of hypoglycemia <laughs> and they're all just like different, yes. different cartoon faces with different levels of like, like horror on their face. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly exactly so that that was sort of like the visual that I had in my head but it wasn't something that I you know we didn't even know anyone at the time that Mm -hmm. had type one and so it just the schooling didn't go deeply into it it didn't go deeply into it okay well that seems to be about par for the course but I I assume too that course or I didn't mean to use course twice but but your dietitian that situation or even being a nurse, it's everything's an overview. You're not deep diving on anything until you get into a specialty, I guess. A hundred percent. And you know, I'm in private practice. So most of what I see is weight loss or sometimes weight gain or healthy eating. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally I see autoimmune conditions, but they're, you know, they're they're fewer and farther between. Mm-hmm. Do people ever come to you for um, to get like a food out of their diet? Like somebody comes along and says, I'm celiac now and I need to know how to transition to it. Do you ever get that kind of question? A hundred percent. And, you know, actually, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but I, you know, been seeing more clients that have autoimmune, um, issues right now. And there are a lot of elimination diets that are now very common, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to find certain things that trigger, um, inflammation. Right. So I, I feel like I'm dealing with that a lot more. People trying to get rid of like psoriasis, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I wonder if you're seeing it more or if it's like when you buy a new car and then suddenly you see them on the road everywhere. I, I mean, a hundred percent. I also have to say since the pandemic, I've been really busy because I feel like a lot more people have been home. So people are taking time to do things like you know, um, figure out their diets and, you know, um, do more things for self-care. Yeah. So it might just be just the sheer volume of what I'm seeing. Yeah. Maybe, too. I guess when you get extra time, uh, when you're not doing all the things that you used to do, you lose the excuse of like, oh, I would, but I don't have time. Now you're like, oh, darn, I have time now. I'm going to have to do something. <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep exactly. telling myself that, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Cool. Um, okay. So... She's diagnosed at 10. Can did it come on in the classic way? Do you have like, you know, were you on an airplane over the Atlantic Ocean? Because I mean, pretty, pretty much. I mean, I had to get on an airplane, not over the Atlantic Ocean. But, um, you know, when when COVID struck in March, um, my girls, you know, had sort of been home and um, my my daughter was dying to go to camp. And her sleepaway camp was one of the few camps that were running. And we were a little bit nervous to send her, but she, she begged us to go. So um, the camp said that they were taking every precaution, you know, to prevent COVID, um, including, I think, three tests right before she left. And we had to do like a temperature check for a week. Um, and so we decided to send her. And she actually got on a plane and went with another family to camp. Um, and about a week and a half into camp, I got a text message from one of the directors of the camp saying that, you know, she, she wasn't feeling well. Um, she had thrown up a couple of days before. Um, and they said that they had given her a couple of COVID tests and it was negative. Um, they also asked if she had a history of eating disorders because she was restricting her food. So I got, you know, very concerned. Um, and I asked to speak with her on the phone and I spoke with her on the phone and I could tell that she really, she was sort of slurring her words. Mm-hmm. She was crying a lot. Um, so I very quickly hung up the phone and FaceTimed her and I noticed that she just, um, she, she really didn't look well. She had lost some weight and which, you know, it ended up all the information kind of came out later. Um, she had lost about 13 pounds in the matter of a week and a half. And um, my first reaction was just to tell them to take her to the emergency room yeah. because, you know, we were so far away. It, it, it's, I, I, I like, I, I didn't know what to do. So the, the first thing that I could think of was just to have them take her to the emergency room. Can you say a little more about how it felt to be that far from her when she was struggling? 
I mean, it was, there were so many factors in place. It was so hard. I mean, I think, you know, any parent that sends their child to camp, whether the camp is, you know, a couple hours away, or in this case, you know, 20 something hours away, it's to not be with your child when they're not feeling well is very, it's, it's so difficult. You just, you know, you hope that they're in good hands. And at the time we felt like, you know, she had all this stuff going on and she wasn't in good hands. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was really hard. Um, And then, you know, when she finally, you know, was, was receiving care, um, I couldn't get a flight because, you know, remember it's about six months into the pandemic. So people weren't really flying. Yeah. Wow. How far was she from you? Like States away or she was States away. So we're, you know, we're in um, suburban Chicago and she was in Maine. Wow. So, and if you think about that and she's kind of in rural Maine, so the closest town being Portland, which is still, you know, a distance. Um, so it's, it was not easy to get to. And had I driven, I mean, it would have taken longer than just waiting until the next day to get a flight. Yeah. Did they try rubbing seafood on her? Were they using all the main tricks? I wonder. <laughs> I know. I, you know what? It might have been better than what they were doing because, well, you know, later it turned out that they were giving her Gatorade oh. because she you know, she wasn't eating and was refusing to eat and vomiting, which I mean, you can only imagine Gatorade to this day. She cannot look at Gatorade. Was, um, did that happen at the camp? That happens at the camp. Yeah. Well, camp, I mean, counselors are not, you know, they're usually younger, right? They are. And, you know, they had, you know, sort of a strange set of circumstances because it was COVID. Normally they get a lot of foreign counselors that are a little bit older. Mm. And because people weren't traveling, you know, I guess like with the travel visas and stuff, they ended up with a bunch of younger counselors from the U.S. And I just felt like weren't really well-trained well weren't well equipped for the to diagnose type one diabetes (laughs) like that that wasn't on their to-do list either plus everyone (laughs) you know when you really look back everyone has to be freaked out right in the beginning of covid and and now there's this kid that's super sick you know everyone's looking at her going like that kid's got covid uh a hundred percent i mean she said she had something like five covid tests and you know how unpleasant i mean i was very fortunate i got vaccinated before i needed a covid test but they you know they the the swab goes all the way up your nose and Mm. my daughter said it felt like she was drowning and they did five of them yeah so because they wanted to prove she had covid so they could put her somewhere and be done with her and they and they exactly. didn't know what to do and well that's you know i i have a tiny bit of a a, a similar sim- situation i mean not similar with diabetes but my son was in florida playing baseball with his college team and i was there um watching and he got sick like right as and it wasn't like into covid it was like those couple of weeks <clears throat> excuse me like you know when it I think mid-March is when everyone kind of came to like grips with like, oh, this is a thing and I'm going to go into my house now. So this was like, this was like the week before that. And it's just rumblings. Like, you know, you still hear people saying like, did you hear on the news? There's a thing. I wonder if it's going to be a problem. Like it was still like that um, for most people. And my son gets a, a viral infection while he's there. So, um, so luckily that what what he had was treatable with um antibiotics and you know so i might not have meant viral infection i i'm not exactly certain obviously i'm not a medical person but he got something <laughs> that was treatable with antibiotics but as soon as he got sick people backed away from him like he was on fire right and, you know and then we got the antibiotics into him and it made him better very quickly and then you had to basically go from person to person to go, listen, antibiotics don't work on viruses. If this was COVID, yeah. he wouldn't be getting better. And then you're counting on people knowing that that's true. And it was just everybody was at two arms lengths from him at that point. It was very 100%. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I can see that happening for certain to your daughter as well. Yes. And, you know, there's this added dimension of her being at an all girls camp and there being some drama. Um, I think, you know, one thing that COVID has sort of done is it's made everybody a little bit, I don't want to say antisocial, but, you know, these were kids that were basically, you know, at home or homeschooled on their devices since March. And all of a sudden, you know, they're away at camp with a bunch of other 10 year old girls. So there was, there was definitely an element of girl drama. Um, 
And they kept, you know, citing girl drama as an example that she was restricting her food. So it's, it was just so many different things at once. It was just very overwhelming. And things started getting confused. Yeah. They were pointing at one thing and thinking it was something else. And yeah, definitely. did the girls back away from her? Did she experience that? Yes. Because, you know, she had vomited a couple of times, which is, yeah. Um, often a sign of DKA and everybody was so freaked out because that's also a sign of COVID. Mm. So there were some girls in the bunk that were, were kind of taunting her saying that she had COVID. I mean, you know, it's, it, it was a lot. Yeah. No kidding. That sucks. Um, yes. how long did it take you to get to her day? So it took, we found out, so I got the text from the camp director. I want to say around three in the afternoon and she Basically, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but she said no rush. But of course, you know, as a parent with a child multiple states away during this time, I called immediately. Yeah. Um, by the time they finally got her to the emergency room, it was about 5 p.m. And so when I got the call from the emergency room, my husband was simultaneously looking at flights. Mm-hmm. So the next flight that I could get was um, 8 a.m. the next morning. Were you on your own private plane? Was it that part of COVID? <laughs> I, I I wish I could have, you uh, know. I no, no, I don't mean, can you afford a private plane? I mean, were there not oh. many people on the flight? <laughs> oh, there was no, there was hardly anybody yeah, yeah, on the yeah. flight. I, flew, I mean, it was, I had uh, like two rows to myself. Yeah, we flew home, when I flew home from Florida, uh, I was on a flight, on a, on a full flight with like nine other people. So, like, I mean, like a giant plane with nine other people. We were just spread right. out as far as we could. People were, like, laying across three seats. It was the most comfortable I've ever been flying in my entire life. It's uh, so funny, and yeah. I feel like that just changed very quickly. It now did. it's back to being, you know, pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. No, I was on a plane. Uh, it's June now when you and I are talking. I just was on a plane, and it was um, it was packed. So Yes. Um, but, okay, so... She goes, they finally, you tell them to take her to the emergency room. So is she diagnosed without you there? All right, this is a super short ad break. I'm just reminding you to go to touchedbytype1.org. It's a wonderful organization doing things for people with type 1 diabetes. Touchedbytype1.org. The one is a one, like the number one, right? So like, Touched, that's T O, you know, I'm not going to spell touched for you. And then buy, and then type, and then the number one.org, touched by type1.org. They're also on Instagram and Facebook, and you will spend no better few minutes of your life today than if you check them out. Touched by type1.org, touched by type1.org. I don't know if I've ever done this on the podcast, but since I mentioned the buy me a coffee link at the beginning of the episode, I want to tell you that I'm sitting right now in an incredibly comfortable, well-built and supportive chair that was bought for me by the people who listen to this podcast. And it changed my life this year. Um, An expensive chair is not something I would have spent money on on my own. Tiny little story here is that um, at one point on Facebook, Someone just kind of got the idea, like they wanted to do something nice for me. And that's how this buy me a coffee thing got started. And before I knew it, there was so much money being put into it. I mean, I don't know. It's buy me a coffee. is just kind of a name. Like I don't actually drink coffee. I assume you understand that. Uh, Anyway, um, I just was so grateful and I had this money now and I didn't know what to do with it. And so I said to people, like, I can't just like, I don't want to just put this money in my pocket. Like, I want to do something for the podcast. I want you guys to get something out of it. And some kind people asked what I needed. And I just said, like, you know, a more comfortable, supportive chair would be a big deal. My back feels so much better than it used to. I spend a lot of time sitting in this chair making this podcast for you. Uh, Anyway, it's a weird little thing that I just never thought would happen in my life odd and nice and um i don't know you'd have to be in my shoes to know what i'm talking about to see a bunch of people like hundreds of people come together and say scott i want you to be more comfortable take five dollars and buy yourself a chair um it was really like one of the more surprising and lovely things that happened to me this year anyway if you want to do it too i mean i'll take your money (laughs) 
buymeacoffee.com forward slash juicebox podcast. It is really just a kind of a super fan thing to do, I guess, but it means a lot to me. So thank you very much. She is. And I just, I don't want to forget one thing because I think we have, um, oh yes. No, I'm sorry. Whatever you want to say, go ahead, go back to what you were thinking. We, we, we have a little bit of an interesting connection. So one of the things that I did after I spoke with her on the phone, so they handed me the phone to speak with her Mm -hmm. and I very quickly switched the phone to FaceTime right? just so I could get a look at her. And once I had a look at her was when I insisted that they take her to the emergency room. Yeah. But this is kind of like, you know, post story, but, um, Months later, my my husband had a friend that told him that he should write to Tim Cook and tell him basically that FaceTime saved our daughter's life. <laughs> well, at the very least, it uh, it, yes. let, it let you look her in the face, right? And then there's a lot to be inferred from that. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I took a look at her and she had these big dark circles under her eyes and she just, she looked terrible and she couldn't even sit upright and she said her stomach hurt. Mm. Um, but anyway, I, my husband and I had this little contest where he wrote Tim Cook and he, you know, and I wrote him as well, but my husband said that his letter was, you know, sort of more concise and to the point. (laughs) So I was like, okay, fine. So my husband sent the letter months later, we don't hear anything. And so I sent my letter and literally within 24 hours, I got a letter back from Tim Cook thanking me for my letter and saying that it's stories like mine that, you know, make them go on and do all the things that they do. But more importantly, it proved that your husband's letter sucked. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that really is the but most I, important part. You know, it's funny. You, you said a minute ago, you were like, we have this interesting connection. And I was like, Ooh, me and you. <laughs> Dude, I, I thought you had some kind of Apple story. I do. Yeah. You have an iPhone story. Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, when the first iPhone came out, I mean the very first iPhone, I got one. Uh, back then, you had to stand in. I stood in an alleyway behind a cell phone store for hours to get it. Uh, actually, with Adam, who's the doctor who came on and talked about COVID a lot during COVID, he and I just stood behind an iPhone store for a couple of hours and got our phone. Anyway, I was migrating my pictures onto it, and I was super excited. And I know that's hard for people to believe now, but having a handheld device that would hold your photos or um, that even could have your calendar on it was unheard of at that moment. Like it just didn't exist, like in a real functional visual way. And so my wife was leaving for work one day and I just stopped her to show her. And she's like, I have to go. And I'm like, no, 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 look at this. And I only held her up for 30 seconds. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. she, she was, had to get out the door. And as she drove down our driveway and then pulled onto the street, only a few seconds ahead of her, a tree fell across the road, like this big branch from this tree, like this giant branch that would have like easily crushed anyone's car. And I was like, oh, my God, I saved your life by showing you my iPhone. And mm-hmm. and I wrote that um, Adam actually I wrote it up in an email and I, I sent I shared it with a couple of friends and Adam was like, send it to Apple. And I did. And maybe a few weeks later, I was contacted by a law firm in New York that wanted me to sign an NDA before they would continue to have conversation with me. So they reached out to me and said, hi, we'd like to talk to you about something. We can't tell you what it is. If you sign an NDA, we'll tell you why we're contacting you. And I was like, I am fascinated. So I did that and it was Apple. So I got flown out to Los Angeles, uh, me and about 30 other people. And we were, um, we made each of us made iPhone story commercials. And, um, I think they picked six of them that actually made it onto television. Um, mine did not make it onto TV, and I still made like eleven thousand dollars and got a week off and got to go make a commercial. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't think I was tall enough or thin no. enough. I'm not sure exactly what I wasn't enough of. Uh, but um, but mine didn't make it. It was still an amazing experience, though. Uh, and totally. it was it was from doing that. I don't know if that stuff if anybody would even remember those. But there was like. Like, I'm an airline pilot, and I use my iPhone to check the weather before I get to the airport. Like, it was super simple stuff like that, because the phone didn't really mm-hmm. do very much. <laughs> right, right. Then. Without apps, like, really think about your phone. Without an app, it's useless. 
And back then there was no app store really. So so anyway, that's, yeah, that was it. Uh, You didn't get to go to Hollywood like I did though. No, no. My my story had a very different ending. But um <laughs> just got to mock your husband. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh we God. know who who's gonna write all the letters in the house. Well from now on. I mean also who's gonna shut their mouth, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> um so how did she who was there someone with her in the hospital for the first hours before yes. you could get there? So so basically what happened, you know, as I mentioned, it was sort of rural Maine and there wasn't a major medical center, but because she was clutching her stomach, they thought maybe at the very least she needed a sonogram. And this one hospital that was near the camp didn't have that kind of technology. So they thought that they were going to transfer her to a bigger medical center. But when she arrived at the first um, emergency room, they did one of the nurses thought to do a finger stick. And when they did a finger stick, they found out that her blood sugar was 600. Wow. Wow. So then they get her going and where was she by the time you got to her? What, what state? Not so in- she was, she was in Maine. She was in Portland. Yeah. I didn't mean state um, like that. I meant like what state was her health in? Sorry. As I said, oh, that, as I said that I realized yes. I shouldn't have said it like that. So I, I guess at the time what the, um, what the the nurse said to me was that she was, she, she basically said, you know, we just did a finger stick and she's in something called DKA, which I actually had to Google. Mm -hmm. And she explained that, you know, it's, it's often when, um, children get diagnosed with type one diabetes. She explained how high her sugar was. And this was like, you know, like in those movies when, you know, people are listening to their doctor and their doctor tells them that they have cancer and they just, they don't hear anything. Yeah. My husband was sitting there while I was on the phone and I I felt like he was sort of Googling so we could, you know, figure out what was going on. Um, It was just very overwhelming. Yeah. No kidding. Um, okay. So she, how long was she in the hospital? So she was in the hospital for three and a half days. Three and a so half. she was in the ICU for a couple of days. I guess the standard protocol is to very slowly bring the blood sugar down with insulin. Um, and, and what they basically had to do is since she had to be transferred from the rural hospital to the major medical center, they had to give her an insulin drip in the ambulance as she was going. And they mentioned to me that there were, you know, slight risks involved, which is, you know, just another thing that, um, terrified me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I arrived, she was, um, in the ICU. Okay. So when, when, when she gets cleared to leave the hospital, I'm assuming you're getting right on a plane. Yes. And that was, that was terrifying Yeah, because I basically went, you know, they won't allow you to leave the hospital with um, a child that has type one, unless you've gone through this education piece Mm -hmm. so that I know how to give her insulin. So I left the hospital with needles, with insulin. I mean, it was like, I, I had to navigate, you know, having a child that could barely walk because, you know, as I mentioned, she lost 13 pounds. She could barely move. And I had all of this stuff with me. I couldn't bring myself to leave the parking garage to make the 30 minute ride back to the house we were staying in. Like, Mm -hmm. and we were in the hospital for five days. We were so scared to leave the hospital. We left the hospital, went downstairs, went right into the cafeteria and had lunch because I think we didn't want to leave the building. Yeah, and then, it was terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you had to get on a plane. But did you, were you in that like ignorance is bliss thing? Did you not know enough about it to be like, like properly terrified? Were you just terrified of the big, like the specter and not of something specific? Well, I feel like I had two bad options, right? Because um, I definitely didn't want to leave the hospital. That's for sure. I mean, it was so uncomfortable and I barely slept, but I definitely felt safer in the hospital. But remember, we're in Maine. And so my other option was to stay in a hotel overnight with her or get on a plane and at least be home and have the support of my husband. You know, and we know some doctors. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was almost like, what's better? You know, so it was terrifying to be on the plane but i also didn't want to stay overnight with her in a hotel if that makes sense no no that uh, trust me that all makes sense i'm i'm fascinated (laughs) by that idea that that you had to be thrust like it wasn't just a quick ride back to the house yeah you know um that that was really something so you made it obviously 
because yeah, yeah you you made it back. Uh, most of your fears unfounded. Did you have any trouble? Well, so we had this one crazy thing in, in the airport. Um, so when my daughter got, you know, transferred to the hospital from camp, they sent her with a backpack. And I didn't really think to look in the backpack before we got to the airport. So as I'm taking her through security and my daughter sort of goes through security first, we find out that one of, she has this water bottle that she really likes and it's filled. Mm. So they made me get out of the security line and go empty the water bottle and then come back. And she was already my newly diagnosed type one daughters all the way on the other side of the metal detector. And I, I had to leave her. So that was a little bit panic inducing. Did it, did it feel, see, that's interesting for people to understand. Like you, what did you walk away from her 30 feet? And it, it felt yes. like you were leaving her in another country, right? A hundred percent. I was just terrified. I, I, I can relate to that idea. Like, I can't walk away from her. Like, I have to stand right here in case something happens. That, that, yeah. I thought you were going to say that there was like a fishing knife in her bag or something like that. That you guys were up against the wall. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the irony of the whole thing, it was a filled water bottle. So, and, like, I, I felt like she needed the water all along in camp when she's getting Gatorade. And then, you know, <laughs> I end up having to empty it out at the airport. <laughs> finally we've got the right thing in our hands and we're dumping it away but that feeling of like even being separated by feet in that situation oh i i definitely know what you're talking about i have had that like i have had that exact thought like i have to be here like right next to her that how long did it take for that feeling to go away or has it not um no it's it's gotten better over time you know as we've started to give her more and more independence i mean she's 11 now um i kept her remote this year for school, you know, because it was a new condition because of COVID. Um, we just sort of wanted to get a handle on her blood sugar and having her home was the easiest way to do it. Mm -hmm. So as we've had her home and we've been able to manage things better, we've started to give her more and more independence. And also, you know, she has a Dexcom and that's huge. I feel like she can be feet away from me and I can see what's going on with her blood sugar and text her if I feel like, you know, it's going too high or too low. So that's, I mean, that's a game changer. You're really very new to this still. It's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Is it going anywhere near how you hope? I mean, we're, we're definitely trending in the right direction. The past couple of doctor's appointments, her hemoglobin A1C has been a 6.7. Oh, good for you. Down from 13 when she was initially diagnosed. Yeah, that's a nice leap. Um, I I know I, I it's funny, I, I feel stupid saying this, but did you have like a focus for coming on? Were you, did you, I don't remember. I don't really. Oh, yeah. So I think my, you know, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, I think I, it was like sort of twofold. Um, number one, you know, right before we sent her to camp, she had a full physical. Mm-hmm. So when she had a full physical, like we thought everything was fine and she was perfectly healthy and we were able to send her halfway across the country. And literally within a week and a half of being gone, she ended up in the ICU. So my husband and I had this moment of, you know, well, something should have been done in the pediatrician's office. Like there should be this like universal standard of care where they at least do a finger stick because they don't really take blood work from children. So unless like you see the signs and symptoms of of something going wrong, there's no reason for them to even look at blood work. Whereas adults, you know, have physicals every year and they take blood. So I think I was just, I, I, I feel like I would love at some point for pediatric practices to adopt this, you know, just like easy finger sticks, get a baseline, you know, of what's going on with the children, because it really would have helped us so much. Did you feel like you paid to rotate your tires before a road trip and got a flat tire anyway? And then it a hundred percent. Yeah. And then you felt like, oh, I did everything I could do. And this still didn't work. Well, I mean, so I'm not going to disagree with you. And, um, but I would say that I think this might be a thing that if you wait five years and think back on it, you won't feel similarly. 
I'm not certain. Right. And there's no way for me to like, I mean, we could put it on our calendars, I guess, and, <laughs> and reach out to each other. But I think that when you're first going through a diagnosis in the first year or so, it, there is that like, there are a lot of feelings that are similar to what you just brought up. Like somebody should do something. There should be a way to this whole thing, except I think maybe there isn't. You know, I mean, I don't disagree with you that you could finger stick every kid on the planet and maybe you'd catch some of them with a high blood sugar. I'm sure you would. Um, but if you look at that from the perspective of people who never get diabetes, I bet you, you hear them say, I don't, you know, I don't want you to finger stick my kid. Like, I wonder right. how much of that, like, becomes perspective um, because of what happened to you. Um but I, I don't disagree. Like, I, I mean, there, right. it's, it's an incredibly, I think at the very least, when kids come in with flu-like symptoms, they should check their blood sugar. Um, yes. You know, for certain, because there you're definitely going to catch some kids and keep them from getting, you know, into DK or deeper into it. But I do know how you feel. Like, is that a, is that a helpless feeling? Like, I don't, I like to dig into the psychology of it a little bit like this, like, does it make you feel like nothing's within your control? It definitely does. But also I think, I think about it a little bit differently too, mm -hmm. because I feel like, you know, sometimes like in the first year of a diagnosis, you have all this kind of fire underneath you mm -hmm. and you feel like that's when like you want to see changes made. Um, and so it, it, it keeps me hopeful in a way okay. because I feel like maybe at some point it will be a standard of care because you're, you're hearing about more and more type one, um, diagnoses. Someone sent me a study recently as related to COVID that they think COVID might trigger type one. So, so I do, I want to be careful when we say that, because, um, I think what you're going to find is that it's not that COVID gives you type one diabetes is that COVID puts your body in a, a in, in a stressful situation, you very likely had the markers for type one diabetes already. And this is the thing that yes. propelled it. I know. And, and to say, right. and to say COVID triggers type one is it's like a headline statement that absolutely is. It's, I understand what you're saying. It's true in context, but it doesn't explain it, it, the yeah. specific mechanism. Yeah. yeah I, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yes. You don't magically get diabetes when you get COVID. You're a person who has, um, uh, antibodies markers that are making you making it clear that you are going to get diabetes at some point something throws you into that situation could be anything really a hundred percent and you know the fact that you know a hemoglobin a1c you know it's a measure of your blood sugar over the past three months the fact that when they did it in the hospital and hers was 13 it meant that her sugar had been running high for a while you know for for months before she ended up at that point. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a certain element of, oh my goodness, you know, she was complaining about headaches and we thought, well, she was spending a lot of time on the screens and wasn't wearing her glasses. Right. So, you know, no, yeah. Oh, it's the worst. Listen, the first time in your life, especially attached to your children that you recognize that we're all on a rock uh, hurling through space and nothing, right. nothing happens for any reason that, that you can figure out. Like it, it's a, it's a hard thing to swallow that, you know, your decisions don't lead to ultimate safety, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know what yes. I mean? Like you, you get, look, I mean, I was very careful when I was a kid, I grew up really broke and I looked around and I thought I have to establish credit. So I remember getting a credit card to Sears and buying something just so I could pay it off so that I could start building credit. I was only like 18 years old. Right. And that made me feel safer. And my, mm -hmm. my home makes me feel safe. But the truth is, if like three ill-intended people wanted to get into my house right now, they absolutely could. Um, but I feel safe. And, you know, I, I you try to get a house in the nicest neighborhood you can so you can feel safe, so you can feel like you're sending your kids to good schools. And it's all true right until, you know, a meteor crashes into you. And then you realize that none of this had anything to do with you. You were just getting lucky the whole time. Um, right. You know right. what I mean? And it's a hard pill to swallow. Like as a, yeah. as a person who cares about another human being and you're trying to keep them um, healthy and alive to realize that something random could happen. I heard someone say recently, I was listening to an interview somewhere and the man had had a, a near death experience 
And he said that what stuck with him most when it was over was that you could be talking to somebody and an hour later they might not be here anymore and that there's no way to know that's going to happen or not happen. Um, and that he found it frightening and freeing at the same time. So I don't know. Yeah. It just made me think of that when you when you were saying that, because I completely understand the idea of wanting to create as good of a situation as you possibly can and yet not losing sight of the fact that you know, random things happen and sometimes people are in the way of it. It's, uh, it's terrible. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, that's not how, uh, that's not what should happen. But I mean, for me, I always kind of go back to this feeling of if you could go find me right as I was getting ready to have my first kid and you, and somebody came, I don't know, popped out of space and time and said, look, you know, you're going to have two children and, you know, here are all the health issues that are going to happen for your wife as you get older, for you as you get older, for your son, for your daughter. Like, you're going to have a car accident one day. Like, you know, all this stuff is going to happen. You can't stop it. I, I, I don't know if I even would have believed it because when I was young back then, I just thought if I make good decisions, I'll put us in good positions and we'll have good outcomes. But, you know, then a girl hits you in the bumper when you're waiting at a stop sign and you realize she's on a different path than you are, and now suddenly you're in her way. So I don't know. It's uh, it's frightening the whole thing. Do you have you yeah. have other children too? Yeah. So I have um uh, a younger daughter as well. Okay. Did so you, an eleven year old and a nine year old. Do you have concerns about diabetes for them? Well, so um, I think I heard about it on your podcast, but um, T one D exchange. Um, you know, they have a whole database, but they also offer um, blood tests. So you can test everybody in your family to see if they have the markers for type one as well. Trial net. Oh, trial net. Yeah. Sorry. Trial oh, that's okay. Yeah. Listen, pimp everybody out that's been on the show. That's fine. <laughs> I know. May, may I, I will. watch we, this? We have, an, we have an Omnipod too, and we're obsessed. Barb, do you want to see something that you might find creepy, but a little uh, interesting? Watch this. Yeah. Uh, if you just go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box now and you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or a U.S. resident who's the caregiver of someone for type 1, you can join the T1D registry, T1D exchange registry. Well, it's easier when I can edit it, isn't it? Hold on a second. Um, the You will be asked a few simple questions. None of them are deep or probing. It's 100% HIPAA compliant, completely anonymous, and your answers will help other people living with type 1. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box it's not bad right no <laughs> i could do those in my sleep i love the t1d exchange and what they're doing but trial net is where is, where you, can, yeah, is yeah. where you can get uh checked for the marker so you did it for your for the other yes yeah, so i did it um and then um my husband i think you can for, for trial net you have to be 45 and under so my husband um he's 52 mm -hmm. and so he he did it through i think jdrf offered something too i believe so right. we've all tested oh, i'm sorry i know jdrf's is like it costs like 50 bucks and trial net's free or something like that right yes yeah, but yeah. trial net I, you can only do up until age 45 so we, we all tested and none of us had the antibodies oh that's cool um now i think trial net isn't retesting anymore if you get no antibodies um but i think that they used to i wonder if that's not a um a financial decision on their part because they're they're funded by other people um whereas i guess you can always buy it through the jdrf the the one they're doing yes yeah i, th I think trial net might end up being a sponsor at some point i had I, I, oh. I feel like i remember having a conversation with them a couple weeks ago um, well, if, if, if you want me to pimp out Omnipod, we actually did the free trial through the Juice Box podcast. Oh, just so you know. Thank you. Yeah. Did, you did you get the free no obligation demo or did you get the free 30 day uh, trial of the Omnipod Dash? We got the free trial of the Omnipod Dash. Oh, you did 30 days? Yes. That's cool. How, all right, listen, let's just remind everybody that they're advertisers, but this isn't an ad, but I want to know how that went. So you contact them because I talk about it all the time, but I've never done it. Obviously you contact them. They get you out 30 days worth of pods, a PDM, get you all set up and going. Do you have, does that have to go through your doctor? Or does it, 
just straight it does okay um it does because i think they want to make sure you know if you're making that kind of a commitment that you'll be able to continue with it Mm -hmm. um and initially it wasn't covered by our insurance but um we heard so many positive things about it that we said you know we'll try it and then honestly i think we paid for one month out of pocket and then our insurance decided to cover it so it worked out yeah oh that's excellent Mm-hmm. That one's uh, omnipod.com forward slash juice. <laughs> People support the podcast. What are you doing? I got uh, I have bills to pay too. So um, but no, that's really that's really cool. I love Omnipod. I mean, they're yeah. sponsors because of how I feel about them. I could have, you know, I'm, I'm sure I could have gotten an ad from a different um, insulin pump. But this is the one that I, I I've seen a ton of benefit from for Arden. And it's been like a real like like genuine like help to us over um, got over a decade now. So, um, I'm glad that you got it and that you like it. That's very cool. Um, uh, yeah. how do you find the podcast? Um, Oh, so I had heard, I initially found the podcast by, um, the woman, I'm going to give her a huge shout out, but she, um, has type one, this, the woman who does my eyebrows at benefit. Um, <laughs> and I had actually, <laughs> I love these I had stories. actually brought my I had brought my daughter with me um, and we noticed that she was wearing a pump. She had the Medtronic pump. And so I I like gently tapped at my daughter and I said, look, look, she has a pump. And so then my, my daughter said to her, I have type one too. And they got into a whole conversation. Um, And I feel like I was going to get my eyebrows done more often than I needed to because she was such a great resource. But she was initially the one that told me about the podcast. I love hearing how people find out from each other. That's so so interesting to me. And 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 I and I have this visual of your 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 brows getting thinner and thinner, and you're like, I hate how my brows look now. But this girl knows so much about diabetes. Actually, I, the opposite sort of happened. I actually, over time, told her to do less and less. And it was more like therapy for me, just like sitting there and getting all of her tips on things. That's really because cool. um, I think she's in her 30s and was diagnosed in her teens. I have to tell you, so, that, 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 I'm smiling very big. I have such a big smile from that. That's, uh, that's very, very cool. Also, if people are interested, Arden gets her brows uh, threaded not waxed. Mm. Um, so if you have a, a threading professional around you, you should try it. It's uh, fascinating. Um, really, really cool. Like just, have you ever seen anybody do it? Yes. I've had it done before, okay. um, but I think I can never switch because this is like, I mean, well, I feel like I learn something every time I go see her and my brows look good. So. Let me ask you this. I'm going to admit this on the podcast. The person who cuts my hair is fine, but I don't love what she does. And I want to switch to another person at the place, but I feel too bad to do it. I think you that's a tough one. It I, is, right? But I, you know, it depends how long they've been working in the business because I feel like they end up developing a thick skin because it must happen all the time. I just people... want to see, there's this guy in there and I just want to see what he's going to do with my hair. That's all. And I find myself thinking, this is going to sound crazy. I find myself thinking, Maybe I can figure out what days my person works and get an, and get an appointment on a day when she's not there with the other guy. <laughs> you know, I don't, bar, generally speaking, don't care about stuff like this at all. And this one thing, like even Arden's like, just try the other person. I'm like, I can't. Like, she's so nice. I don't know. So I don't know funny. how to do it. <laughs> I feel terrible. I just have to do it. All right. I- yeah, I, I don't know how we got on this, like how my brain jumped to this. But I think we were talking about grooming. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I know how we got to it. I'm just like, I don't know why I'm talking about it now and admitting to everybody that I want to switch hairdressers, but I'm scared to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> I really want to. This guy looks like he would do such a better job. I don't know why. But anyway, uh, it's not a, ge- a gender thing. He just uh, seems to. I don't know. I have really great hair. Barb is something you don't know about me. <laughs> <laughs> It needs a pro touch. You know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, how do you think your daughter's doing like a year into it? Are you pretty comfortable? I mean, the numbers sound great. Sounds like you guys are getting a handle on everything. But I mean, how is she doing personally? So 
I, you know, she has her good days and her bad days. Um, you actually had a podcast recently about um, mood and blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And we definitely see that with her, you know, because as like the pump is relatively new for her um, and we're constantly, you know, adjusting her doses and stuff. And, you know, like every, I feel like all this stuff happens in a year, like all the freak technology stuff, like you know, we, we put the Dexcom and the Dexcom falls off or like we put the pump on and it's a bad site. So, you know, it's like we're, You're it's learning. still a huge learning curve. Um, and I feel like that definitely affects her. I would say, you know, she's not ready to deal with it yet. Um, and maybe partially like the trauma of the diagnosis. I mean, she's interested, you know, in when I'm bolusing her and she, you know, she, she asked a lot of questions, but I would say, you know, I'm still like her external pancreas. I'm yeah. still, you know, oh, I would imagine. doing most of it. Yeah. That's not going to end anytime soon, but, no. so, but so when you say she has good days and bad days, what's an example? Is that an example of her feelings or is that an example of things going better? So the day goes better. I think it's both. You know, sometimes like when her blood sugar is in like great range all day, she'll say to me, mom, I'm having a great day. I feel great. Um, And then other days when it's a little bit higher, she'll say, I don't feel so good. I just feel like I have no energy. Um, There's also, you know, a little bit and a lot of this, you know, I guess happens in the beginning where, you know, her sister will eat something like ridiculously sugary and she'll say, well, I can't have that. Or, you know, you're going to have to give me so much insulin for this. So like a little bit of resentment mm-hmm. um, toward her sister that doesn't have type one. Um, but we've been able to get her some help, which I think has been huge. Okay. Um, I think it's, you know, it's sort of part of the process of going through this. Yeah. She's talking to somebody. Yes. Yeah. That's good. I mean, part of it is, you know, the whole trauma of how she was diagnosed. That was huge. So it's like she had that on top of COVID, Mm. uh, you know, and then her diagnosis. So it's, you know, there's a lot. Do you think when you say resentment towards her sister, do you think it's towards the person or do you think it's towards just anybody who can, do you think it's just because that person's there in front of them? I think it's because she's there in front of her a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Do you see it translate to other aspects of life or is it mostly around food and accessibility to eating when you want those sorts of things? I think it's mostly related to that because, you know, it's always funny. You hear these stories about kids that are like terrors at home and the teachers say that they're like complete joys, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think she like reins it in and all the other areas. But when it comes to her sister, that's sort of when it comes out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you think that sister's younger, right? Yes. Do you think she takes any like joy in being able to eat something that your daughter can't? A hundred percent. I mean, she's, you know, (laughs) and you know, it's my husband and I, I feel like we're sort of trying to find our way a little bit. You know, I'm a registered dietitian, so I've always kept like a super healthy household, Mm -hmm. but I know that I have girls and I don't want them to have any issues around food. Um, So it's like this fine line between like letting her have things once in a while, um, but, and not, you know, like, I feel like you do a very good job of this with Arden. Like, you know, you say this a lot in your podcast, like she wants to go to the movies and she wants a slushy and she wants, you know, and you just figure out exactly how to correct for it. Mm. Um, I feel like my husband and I are trying to navigate the fact that, you know, we, we, keep a super healthy household, maybe because I know too much or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then also trying to allow her to have treats and trying to figure out, you know, how to bolus for that. Yeah. It's so much less about the food and so much more about access and not feeling, mm-hmm. and not feeling like there's something that exists that you're not, you know, quote unquote allowed to do. Like, I think that's really the most important, but like in the moment, like the blood sugar or the food or whatever, you know, that comes and goes. But the idea that I have diabetes and because of that, there's a thing I can't do that to me feels like the most dangerous thing to feel 
Like I, I feel a hundred percent. You know what I mean by that? And, and I feel like, yes. And I feel like we're trying, you know, I have this very good friend. She's also a registered dietitian. And we used to joke that, you know, more than anyone, we're going to screw our children up. Like, you know, we both have daughters and it's just going to be one of these things. So I've tried to not make it about that, but there's not, you know, even if I don't keep it in the house, like we'll still go out, you know, and have treats and stuff like that. So I don't want her to feel like, you know, there's something that she can't eat. Um, And I think we made the mistake in the beginning when she first came home from the hospital. And I feel like you've talked about this too, where like you give all these free snacks, you know, so they were like, she, she, to this day, like cannot look at a string cheese or a hard boiled egg. Um, And I feel like we backed down quite a bit from there. Mm -hmm. Um, And just allowing her to have what she wants, still trying to keep it healthy, but just figuring out how to bolus for it. It sounds to me like you're doing a great job. And to be honest, that anything that you've mentioned so far in this time, it's common stuff that happens to everybody. You know, it can Mm -hmm. feel so like personal and, and, and foreign, but the truth is that anyone who has, you know, been diagnosed with type one is going to go through most of the things that you've just said you know, over this entire time. I mean, aside from the main thing and the plane and stuff like that. Um, right. And actually, know. I have another thing to add to going through this time. Please. Um, I might have mentioned this in the email to you, but she's also been in a clinical trial. Okay. Yeah. Which one? So she's in, she's been in the clinical trial for tapluzumab. Oh, Yes. Hold on. I just made a note for myself because I have a, a strong feeling that this episode is going to be called Plain to Maine. Uh, because oh, I have I have such a good name for you for the episode. Wait, you have your own people coming with titles? All right, go ahead. I'm listening. Um, okay. I, this will make sense in a little bit, but the title should be Bernice the Male Owl. You're not in charge of the titles. Uh, <laughs> I have such a good story about this title. Barb. There's part of me that thinks that it would be funnier if I did not let you tell the story about why you think that's the title and we just let people wonder why you think Bernice the Male Owl would be a good title for the episode. <laughs> um, but tell me first about, oh God, here we go, Tamizaplob? Did I get it right? Tamizaplob? I can't say it. Tamizaplob. Tamizaplob. I have it. Yeah. Okay. So she was in that trial or is in that trial? She is currently in the trial. Um, And the way that it works with the trial is that they catch kids within the first six weeks of their type one diagnosis Mm -hmm. to put them in the trial. So basically we arrived back from Maine the end of July, and then she started her first two week drug infusion in September. And because of COVID, they couldn't do it here in Chicago. So we had to go to Iowa for two weeks. Oh, I didn't know I was going to get a bonus of you saying Iowa with your Chicago accent. I thought I was only going to be Chicago. Fantastic. I'm a New Yorker, so well, you have a, it comes across. Yeah, yeah, it comes, it's really cool. It's a it's an interesting mix. Hey, this is going to sound crazy. Do you know how to spell teplizumab? Yes. So it's um, T E P L. I'm I'm actually writing it um, L I Z A M U B. Oh, no, is it to poison? Hold on one second. I have to, I'm going to have to Google this. The reason I'm asking is I'm trying to search my site to tell people the episode where they came on and talked about it because it's super interesting and you might want to go look, but it's a word I can never remember how I found it. It's episode four. Yeah. Yeah. It's episode 452. So if you're interested in it, um, hearing about the trial, hearing about why this trial is so interesting. Um, take a look. It's, it's a uh, really cool. They, one of the, I think one of the doc, have you heard the episode? Yes. They the co-founder of prevention bio came on and talked about it and what they're hoping to do with it. It's really cool. But you tell me uh, about it. So you, she gets an infusion of this drug monthly. Is that right? Um, no. So she gets two. So it's an 18 month study. Mm-hmm. And she gets two infusions that are each 13 days. Okay. I got you. Oh, oh, she goes every day for 13 days. Yes. Wow. And so 
um, it was so interesting because once she got into the trial, they had to inform us that was no, it was no longer being run in Chicago because of COVID. Yeah. So that we actually had to go to Iowa um, for her to have this drug infusion. Hmm. And and you think it was worthwhile? You you happy you did it? Um, I don't know. Time will tell. And actually, I I mean we have, we've sort of been very positive about the whole thing mm -hmm. because she's been remote learning the whole year. It made it very easy to go. She could just bring her computer to the hospital every day. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're ever going to participate in a clinical trial, like the best time to do it is when the world is shut down. Gotcha. Um, so I, I guess, you know, we'll sort of see what happens, but they just informed me that, um, I guess, because they've had such positive results, but they've extended the trial an extra six months. Okay. So it, um, it, we'll find out in about a year if it worked. And so what's the, so first of all, is, is this a blinded, like, is it possible you're not getting the drug? Yes. Okay. And, and but so what is the hope? Like The hope the is does? that she'll need less insulin over time. Okay. Um, that, you know, whatever cells she has in her pancreas. So they catch the kids in their honeymoon phase when the, there are certain cells in the pancreas that are still producing insulin. And I think it works like, you know, by two mechanisms, either it helps to regenerate some of the cells that have died or the cells that are still there. It helps to kind of like pump them up so that they still continue to produce insulin. Gotcha. That's very, uh, very interesting. Well, I, I hope you got the drug and I hope it does um, what they're what they're aiming for for you. That's really something. Gee, your daughter's a trooper for, for doing that, too. Yes. And, yeah. and, you know, she has a really good attitude. She said that even if it's not helping her, which, you know, we're not so sure mm -hmm. um, that she feels like it will help other kids eventually. So. Uh -huh. Um, well, that's, you know, that is very sweet of her. Thank her. Thank her for me. Actually. Yes, that, that's really, I will. Really cool. I will. Um, all right, Barb, we're going to end here, but I don't know. Tell me about the owl, I guess. Let's go. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, so when she was first diagnosed, I, I got a lot of advice from people about, you know, like things like, you know, cry in the shower, you know, just to kind of mm. find something somebody to talk to. And I feel like because she was diagnosed and then we did this clinical trial, it was kind of like, go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really have time to like process all of the emotions of it. But so she had her second drug infusion for, um, teplizumab in March and we were back in Iowa and my husband and my younger daughter came to visit and my younger daughter has this owl. And she said, you know, from when she's three years old, that the owl, it's it's Bernice, but it's a male owl. She's just, for whatever reason, she's always said this. So it's a little joke in our family. Well, when we were on our way um, back from Iowa, it was like, we, we felt kind of like this sense of relief that she was done with, you know, the second round of her um, transfusion. We get home and then we realized that my younger daughter has left the owl in the hotel. Oh. And so I, I lost it. It was like a year's worth of emotions. Like I just, it all came out. And so we called the hotel and I, you know, warned my daughter that the owl might not be there because of COVID, you know, like they probably anything that they find in the rooms, they have to get rid of. And she's hysterical, like hyperventilating loves this owl, has had this owl since she's three. And I got this really nice young woman at the front desk. And she said that she knows what it's like, you know, to have a lovey and she um, will check the rooms and she promises if she finds it, she will send it to us. My daughter like is, is telling me that she will not go to sleep unless I drive back to Iowa and go get the owl. I mean, it was really, it was like, I just felt like it was this it was like a whole year, you know, like I'm sure everybody has sort of felt this way with COVID, but it was like COVID, the diagnosis, the clinical trial, just kind of everything at once. Well, anyway, the woman found the owl and we were getting ready to go on spring break. And she ended up sending the owl to the hotel that we were staying at in Las Vegas. And the owl arrived in a FedEx package. Um, and then my daughter opened the owl and just started to cry just completely 
lost it. But um, anyway, when I was thinking about the podcast, I was like, that just kind of sums up our year, like this, you know, um, tremendous amounts of emotion. And yeah, did you feel like, did you feel like I couldn't stop diabetes and I might not be able to do a lot of things, but I'm not losing this Al. Is that like a hundred percent? I mean, you have no idea what lengths I went to to get the owl. Like this young girl who worked in the hotel, she was new to the job. So she didn't even know how to FedEx him. So my sister said to me, Oh, but I'm sure if she's a young girl, she has a Venmo account. Just like send her some money and tell her, you know, you'll get her a FedEx number, you know. So I felt like I am going to have this owl sent. And the owl, and I even let them know at the hotel in Las Vegas that they were expecting a FedEx from us. <laughs> um, so, well, um, you controlled so anyway, something. Get, you stopped that meteor from hitting you. You did. You did. You got in front of that one. Um, exactly. The whole time exactly. you were talking, I just was waiting for you to mention a person so I could say who, and then it didn't work out. Uh, I feel let down. <laughs> I couldn't oh, no. make a stupid joke. Um, well, I'm gl- I'm glad you got Bernice back, and yeah. I, but I think that um, I think that more importantly, right? Like it's it's a good example of how out of control like diabetes can make you feel. Like yeah. re- really that you just, that, I mean, that that became so important. Like I get that it's important to your daughter. Right. But that, but that that became so, so important, I think is a good example of needing to feel like you're ordering things, you know, you know, something, something's going your way. I'm glad that I'm glad that it went, went your way and that your daughter got her owl back. So now I'm assuming yeah. she holds it while she's mocking your other daughter with food. <laughs> So. <laughs> 100%. It sits in a kitchen. <laughs> oh my god, that's something. Well, I really appreciate you doing this. Did you um did you like talking? Did it meet your expectations? I think you were pretty excited to come on. So, I, did it work out? Yes. I mean, I really feel like this has been such a great resource for us. Like we get excited for when your episodes come out. We've tried a bunch of things that you've discussed. We actually tried, like you had a whole episode on the Warsaw method, mm. um, which we've tried with my daughter. I, I feel like it's it's just made such a huge difference in our lives. Oh, so wow. thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. You know, I'll say this to you here because your episode will go up so far in the future. I think I can get away with this. But I have a meeting tonight about turning that Warsaw method into an app so that people can just have it on their phone to figure out the fat for the food. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it takes like, you know, it's like bringing back like, I don't know, math from college or something. Yeah. Like, you know, it's such like a mental game. But yeah, it's, so try it's to so imagine, try, try to imagine maybe having a little app on your phone that you can just plug in the fat and everything and it'll just, it'll help you get to that answer. So I'm going to try, I have an app developer calling me tonight. We're going to try to figure that out. That's amazing. Cool. So, well, I am super happy that you did this and I, I'm glad you found the podcast and, and that things are going well for you guys. Um, I appreciate you. Uh, please tell your daughter, I really appreciate her doing a trial. Like anybody who does trials are, are just helping everyone. So it's a, it's a really, it's a really big deal. Cause I know it's not easy. Um, and it takes up, uh, can take up time. Some of them. So very cool. Thank you so much. Of course. I want to thank you so much for listening and remind you to check out touchedbytype1.org. Find them also on Facebook and Instagram and go see what they're doing and what they're all about. Touched by Type 1. I want to thank Barb for coming on the show and sharing her story. Her story. Ugh, her story. Story. I want to thank Barb for coming on the show and... All right, let me get a drink. Hold on. I want to thank Barb for coming on the show and sharing her story. There we go. That was that was easy, huh? <laughs> and thank you, of course, for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.